Hello, and thank you for joining Cherry Beckert's latest technology industry podcast. Today, we are covering important tax planning matters you and your technology company should be or might be considering right about now as we move toward the end of 2023. Uh, this will include regulatory areas that can sometimes trip up our finance planners, uh, as well as even our, our accountants. Um, so, you know, as well as, you know, credit incentive opportunities that we'll touch on that might even be able to benefit your company in 2024 and beyond. Just kind of things to be thinking about, again, as we move toward the end of the year. So my name is Tim Larson. I'm a tax partner out of Cherry Beckert's Austin practice, and I'm joined today by my colleague, Rob Schwartzman, a tax partner out of our Atlanta office. Rob, I'm glad we have the chance to talk today about tax issues for tech companies as we round out 2023. Yeah, happy to be here with you too, Tim. Um, you know, I think tax planning is so important this year for early and growth stage technology companies. And I think that's because we find ourselves kind of in a unique place that we haven't been in in some time. Um, you know, generally, when you think about early and growth stage companies, you know, they tend to be co focused on a couple things. You know, they're they're trying to build out their suite of services. You know, they're enhancing and developing their technology. Uh, they're building market share, you know, through their go to market activities. And as a result of all that, um, they tend to run, you know, large operating losses that translate into tax losses. The problem we're running into is that we've had a couple what I would call very significant um, stealth tax increases in the form of disallowed deductions, um, where now, you know, these operating losses may not necessarily translate into a taxable loss. Um, and as you know, the, the two primary uh, disallowed deductions that I'm referring to, you know, once again, that have had a, a very large impact on, you know, early growth stage technology um, are the new rules around research and experimentation costs. Uh, you know, they're often referred to as Section 174 costs um, and the the interest disallowance rules. You know, interest is no longer just immediately, you know, deductible. Uh, there's a series of rules we now have to look at to to deduct interest. So if, you know, stepping back a little bit, if you're if you're a technology company and you're heavily invested in R&D and you're currently investing in R&D, and you rely on leverage or debt financing to fund your activities. And as a result of that, you know, you have a lot of interest expense. Well, these two items alone can push you into taxable income. Um, and I think a lot of companies in 2022 encountered that. Um, but I, I think the good news is, is there's some planning around that that we can do to to help mitigate, you know, the impact of those rule changes. Yeah, no, I I, I agree, Rob, and, and sorry to to interrupt. I you know, with respect to the the interest deductibility rules, it, it's been kind of a, a creeping. You know, there was a change in, in, you know, back I guess beginning in in 2018, but this year I think was the first year that now we're seeing. You, the in computing the amount that's deductible, the inability to add back depreciation, and more importantly for a lot of tech companies, amortization and computing the base for what you know for determining if this business interest expense is deductible, and and that's that's really has had an impact. And same with Section 174. Um, you know, these are provisions that I think have a lot of us are still hoping and 
you know, wishing for some some legislation to to come in and and basically kind of turn off these provisions um, that you know um, and and you know possibly retroactively, but most likely in this case probably prospectively. Can't tell you the number of clients that we've worked with this year that might have had even um, book losses. Uh, from an operating perspective, but when, once we work through the tax return because of the needing to add back amort- research and experimentation, amortization, particularly if there was a heavy use of foreign contractors, you know, having to capitalize and amortize over whether it's five or 15 years, all of a sudden we're in a cash tax position, taxable income position and, and having to pay in tax. And it, it really... Um, caught a lot of people off guard, uh, yeah, just you, depending on the amount of experimentation done. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. The the 163J rules, the interest disallowance rules, those are a little trickier to address. Um, you know, it's hard to change kind of the way you're funded, uh, your capital structure. And so, you know, to the extent you can convert some of your, your debt into equity, uh, that may provide some relief there. But I think with 174, with the research and experimentation costs, I had I had clients approach it, those computations, kind of in two different ways. Um, last year, I had several clients that, um, when we look, take a step back, when we look at 174 costs, uh, these these research and experimentation costs, they're, they're not only direct costs. You know, your materials and supplies, your your salaries and wages, and your contractor costs. But but these 174 costs also include indirect costs, you know, um, the cost of the benefits of the people doing the R&D and other SG&A costs that are related to the R&D. And I had a lot of clients just say, well, historically, our benefits are roughly 20 percent or 25 percent of uh, our direct salaries. And so let's just add that back to our 174 cost. And they took similar approaches for you know, their their rent expense and other other indirect items. Um, and then I had other clients who said, no, we want to drill down and see, you know, what are our actual costs associated, uh, you know, in the provision of R&E or in research and experimentation. And they were able to whittle down, um, you know, their their ad back, their, the amount that's capitalized. And for, for those of you who are not familiar with this rule, uh, prior to 2022, to the extent a company incurred research and development costs, they were ex- that you could expense them for tax purposes as they were incurred. But starting in 2022, those costs have now have to be capitalized and then they're amortized. And that amortization period is it depends on where those costs are incurred. So it's five years if those costs are incurred in the U.S. They're amortized over 15 years if they're incurred offshore. So it's really important, and we found a lot of our clients to, to get that number right. Um, and so this is an area where I would recommend uh, that you spend a little time. And you know, there are you know now that this has been out for a year, a lot of people have plowed this ground. You know, I know our firm; we've spent a lot of time thinking about this. And I think this is an area where you can make a significant uh, impact on your tax liability to spend a little time with it. I, I yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And you know, for those. Uh, where you might ha- companies that end up even in a flow through if it if it trickled up to to an owner uh, and there's a tax liability and and you know we you weren't prepared for it so this is in hindsight 
the cost of borrowing now is higher than it has been historically in the past. So, you know, even, uh, you know, rates are moving up upwards of even 7%. So, you know, these these all kind of kind of converged at the, the same time. And I just also want to note for those technology companies that might be uh, capital intensive, depending on what they're doing, that the bonus depreciation, you know, used to be 100 percent bonus depreciation in 2023. Now it's 80 percent moving to 60 percent next year, which, OK, may not seem so significant, but you're losing the ability to immediately expense some depreciation. And then when you go back to the borrowing costs and the interest deductibility, you're not able to add back. So, you know, there's almost like a, a double a double whammy of sorts. So <laughs> um, I, I think it's it's something that, again, yeah, we're sitting here towards the end of 2023. Uh, the year's not over yet, but these are all things that as we look at and and plan for 2024 there's there still are some things that could be done perhaps before oh, the end of the year totally agree um you know and it's it's a lot of it's not very sexy it's standard blocking and tackling um one of the things that i encourage my clients to do is is look at their overall accounting methods i mean this is plain jane stuff but if you're a cash basis taxpayer and let's say you have a lot of subscription revenue that's deferred Maybe it's time to move to an accrual basis or if you're accrual basis, you know, cash basis accounting can be very powerful. uh, And and there are rules out there. They were revised a couple of years ago. But if if you if you meet the test to be cash basis, which is is based on gross receipts, if you're a a C corporation or or partnership, um, it's a twenty nine million dollar average gross receipts test over the previous three years. But if you meet that, you know, you can elect a cash basis of accounting and there might be some opportunity there not very conventional but it's it's might be an opportunity to to save some taxes and it's it's actually quite easy to do it just requires the filing of a what we call a form 3115 you know and, and along those lines when we're looking at periods and methods um you know if you are accrual basis there are ways to accelerate you know prepaid um there's this thing called the 12 month rule that we can apply uh, and then just other accruals. There, there's there's something called the all events test, where if you accrue certain expenses and they're they're fixed and you know they're going to pay them within a certain period after your end, you can deduct those in the year of accrual. So those can be very powerful tools um, that are often overlooked, um, but it's definitely something worth giving some thought. Yeah, definitely. Uh, as Rob said, plain Jane blocking and tackling. These are you know nothing new nothing proprietary just kind of going back to the the basics and and again sometimes often overlooked because uh there's so much information and change out there that it 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 is often easy just to overlook kind of some of the more quote-unquote simple ideas and and planning techniques to 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 help Mm -hmm. um kind of with you know cash tax planning if you will Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, and then, you know, another area that's often overlooked is is state and local taxes, um, you know, and there, there's a lot of planning opportunities on the state and local side um, that I think often get overlooked. And, you know, the first I would start with is, you know, looking at your apportionment methodology, um, you know, first of all, even taking a step before that, you know, determining whether you have nexus in a state and whether you truly need to file there or not. Uh, you know, with the advent of the Wayfair case, we now have economic nexus and the thresholds are a lot lower. Um, but, you know, as a technology company, as a service provider, 
Um, there, there are oftentimes different apportion methodologies for you know, service revenue than if you're delivering some type of tangible product. So definitely, I think, you know, looking at apportionment uh, is, is an easy way to, to, you know, maybe reduce your state exposure. Um, and then, you know, there are a lot of credits and incentives, um, you know, both on the federal side and, and the, on the state side. I couldn't agree more. Uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll touch on maybe even in the international kind of cross-border context, uh, which can be equally as complicated as the state and local side. Uh, you know, just really kind of looking or reassessing choice of entity, flow-through versus non-flow-through, uh, offshore. Um, you can, you, if you're operating offshore, your, uh, you know, companies might be operating through legal entities, but under U.S. tax rules, you have the option in many cases to to elect to treat them different than how they're treated under local law. So you might be able to have a flow through. Mm-hmm. Typically, no different than what Rob said up front. Well, if they're if you're generating losses offshore, you tend to like to have those flow through. But if they're profitable. Uh, maybe you don't want them to flow through. So there, there are, there is a timing to, um, you know, you can kind of turn off that spigot of income flowing through, but, but there are some nuances to it. Not to mention there's deferral, anti-deferral regimes put in place where maybe you're not onshoring your profits or bringing them back, but you're, you're considered to have deemed dividend or income inclusions uh, due to these anti-deferral regimes, which, Again, it, it kind of always makes us revisit even choice of entity within the U.S. You might have a flow through. Is it, you know, while the corporate rates are still at 21 percent, maybe it makes sense to consider moving into a, a corporate structure and, and considering a qualified small business stock exemption mm-hmm. potential. So definitely things that can still be looked at before year end. Um, you know, kind of holistically. And, uh, you know, these are the things that we we work through with our clients just about every day. Yeah, you know, and, you know, want to revisit real quick, you know, credits and incentives. Um, you know, if 174 is an issue for your company, um, by all means, you know, look at the R&D credit and make sure you are claiming that credit. Um, even even if you're in a lost position, it can make sense to claim an R&D credit, uh, especially on the state level. Um, states, you know, I'm, I'm in Georgia and, you know, a lot, many states do this, but the, a lot of times you can use that R&D credit to offset payroll taxes uh, if you happen not to be in an income tax position. I know we're talking about estimated tax planning, but uh, there are some benefits uh, to doing, you know, the credits. They offset your tax dollar for dollar. And once again, if you happen not to be in an income position, you can still monetize those credits in a lot of instances against payroll credits. I mean, against payroll taxes. And and there's a federal rule around that as well. Um, The other thing I want to say is, you know, within the state realm, uh, a lot of states also have credits for increasing jobs, uh, for retraining uh, employees and for making investments in the state. And this is basically free money that's waiting for you. And all you really need to do is apply for it. Uh, so we would highly recommend that if you find yourself in a, a taxing situation, or even if you don't, um, you know, if you're not in a position where you're going to have taxable income, definitely investigate uh, 
federal and state credits because once again it's it's basically free money and all you have to do is apply for it um so you know i i think we're coming to the close of this discussion um but just wanted to stress to everyone listening to the to the podcast that right now you know with you know the tightening we're seeing in the liquidity markets with you know a lot of tech companies having stress on their capital structure the last thing you want to be doing is using your capital to pay taxes and you know the the message we want to get out is that there are a lot of planning opportunities that exist that can help minimize that liability uh you know and here at Jerry Becker we would be glad to help you know if anybody needs any assistance I, I completely agree, Rob. And, you know, thank you all for tuning in. And we wish you a tremendous amount of success going into 2024. Thank you and have a happy holidays. Thank you.